Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. For today, but also just spending my own time in worship and prayer, uh, the Lord put his finger on something I've been wrestling with for a while, and uh, it actually has to do with the emotion of anxiety. And the anxiety that I've, I've been going through I realize that there are outcomes, there are results, there are people and things in my life over which I want control, but I have neither the right to control, nor do I have the ability to control those situations. And I, when, I, when I began to experience negative emotions, um, I immediately go to the resource of the attributes of God. See, for me, my emotional healing and my emotional well-being is always centered around what I believe, what I trust in the nature of God. And sometimes I can't just go to contemporary writers. I have to go back to old theologians. And this week I've been, I've been studying a series called The Adequacy of God. Now, if you think about it, the word adequacy normally, we, we, we might see it as kind of a not-so-great term. If, if, if I were to ask you, was your breakfast, how was your breakfast, and you said adequate, I'd go, oh, that wasn't very good then, was it? It was adequate. In other words, it had nutrition or something, not necessarily taste. But when you talk about the adequacy of God, you're not talking about a minimal. You're talking about sufficiency. And, and one of the biggest things in any believer's life is to believe that God is adequate for every situation. To actually have a restored trust mechanism in your heart where the adequacy of God overrides the fear and overrides the control and the need for control. Because you see, when you step into anxiety and you begin to operate by anxiety, you're not the only one you hurt. You start hurting everyone around you. Anxiety is a tornado. And anxious people live in a tornado. And even though they long for others to take the burden from them, no one can take the burden from them because no one can operate fast enough, passionately enough, No one can get in there and be responsible enough. See, when you're a tornado of anxiety, even though you long for others to join you, nobody can. This is why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Because as soon as you become anxious, you become controlling. And when you are controlling, you're no longer trusting. You are now doing it yourself. And even God becomes a means to the end instead of the end. And so oftentimes he puts us in pressure situations. And and the truth is that as much as we hate being anxious people, when we get into situations where we believe the demands on us are greater than the resources we have, we tend towards anxiety. 
That is why it becomes so important that we have a resource when we get into situations, when we are faced with challenges and say, I have a resource that is greater than the demand on me. And so today I want to go to where I always go is to the Psalms. And I look there and I say, okay, the adequacy of God is repeatedly revealed in the prayer book of the Bible. And today I want us to look at Psalm 146. And it may seem strange that the characteristic of God that I'm going to focus on is the justice of God. But I think by the end of our time together, you'll realize that when you encounter the justice of God as a believer, it is incredibly comforting. And this characteristic, this this attribute of God is something that you need in the arsenal when you face the challenges of demands that are greater than you. So we're going to read this together. I like it when we read it out loud. This is Psalm 146, and it starts with praise the Lord. Will you say it with me? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes and mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. That's powerful, right? This is the remedy for when you feel like the world has more demands than you have resources, is to realize that encountering the God of the Bible, encountering him as he is, Learning to worship him, not just to sing, but to give him his due. So one of the things I want us to look at is that this scripture says that God is a God of justice. And so one of the reasons that you and I can rest from our anxiety or rest from worry or rest from fear, even one of the reasons why we can say, I do not have to be in control is because God is a God of justice. Now, Look at how this psalm starts. In a way, you could say there's a calling card of God in this psalm. He's saying through the psalmist, here's who I am, here's how I work. So the first part that I want you to see is it says, the Lord, their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. So the first thing the psalmist says is God is all-powerful. The first thing he says, God There is no one who can stand against our God. There is nothing that has ever been made that was not made by our God. But then he makes this point that 
that we need to get down deep inside is that when God says, I'm all powerful, he also says, I'm the one who uses my power for very specific things. And, and, and here, here's, the, here's the part that, that allows you to say, I can trust him, is because, you see, he doesn't use his power to oppress. He uses his power for the oppressed. In verse 7, it says, he executes justice for the oppressed. So if you ever have that sense of, Everything is going wrong in my life. Everything is difficult in my life. Or even if you have the sense, I take a couple steps forward and then I take a bunch of steps back. Realize that in that moment, don't turn on God and say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? In that moment, say, God, this is when your word says your power is for me when I'm oppressed. See, there, there's a radical difference. There's, there's a way that you and I can get to where we're, we're, we're distancing ourselves from God in our troubles because we're blaming God for our troubles. And we're saying to him, God, you could have kept this from happening. Instead of saying, God, it's happened. Now I know it's happened, but you're for me in the midst of what has happened. You see, that leads to strength. The other leads to isolation. You can see that in the oppression that you're experiencing, the enemy will accuse God. And he'll say, why didn't he keep this from happening? And then we are willing participants because in our back of our minds, we're always like, I didn't deserve this. Why is this always happening to me? And so the enemy is saying, blame God. And our heart is saying, well, you know, I can't turn to God because this is happening. And yet the scripture is saying, when you are feeling your depression, when you're feeling your anxiety, when you're feeling oppressed, when you're feeling a weight upon you, it's then that you go, wait a minute, my God is all powerful. My God says he uses his power in his word when I feel oppressed. So now's the time to go to him, not the time to distance myself from him. And the distance, you see, is far more emotional than it is physical. God is always near. It says, turn to me and I'll turn to you. God is near. He's always near. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But it's so important that we get this part. You see, the justice of God is now on your side. The justice of God is not against you. Come on, am I, am I getting through to you on this? Because I, I, I see so many of us are going through circumstances we have no control over. We can choose to be anxious people which will distance us from God. Or we can be people that say, but I know the justice of God. And it says in his word that the omnipotent God, his omnipotency is for those who are oppressed. So instead of blaming him or being angry that it happened, it's time to turn to him and let him turn it around. Look at what it says. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed 
down. That's not those who are in worship. Those are those who are broken. Those whose life has overwhelmed them or situations or circumstances has overwhelmed them. He loves the righteous. He watches over the strangers. Actually, strangers there is the word for immigrants. He upholds the orphan and the widow and the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. See, any of us in here, when somebody betrays us, disappoints us, even if they bully us or manipulate us, it is a tendency on our part to try to figure out how we get revenge. And you see, revenge is not justice. Revenge is, I want you to hurt as much as you hurt me. I want you to see that it hurt me so that you never do this again. And so what the word of God says over and over again is that we have this tendency, whether it's with anxiety or unforgiveness or anger, to move into not just victimization, but to move into I'm going to get them back. I'm going to be bigger than them. I'm going to be stronger than them. I'm going to be more powerful. You see, either way, Satan wins if you do this. If you just give up, he wins. If you become somebody who's going to say, I'm going to take this matter into my own hands, then the enemy wins both ways. What is most difficult for us, and, and, and I've seen it over and over again, is that we really do try to avoid God being our Savior. We want to save ourselves. We don't really like that he has to be our strong tower. We want to be the strong tower. How dare you do this to me? How dare you treat me like this? The idea, I'm going to show you how powerful I am. I'm going to show you how strong I am. I'm going to show you that you shouldn't mess with me. And you see, when you do that, you step out from being oppressed to being the oppressor. And when you do that, what you've done is you've stepped out of being one for whom the justice of God will now prevail for you to where the justice of God has to prevail against you. See, it's all a matter of positioning yourself in terms of what you're going through. Are you going to go through the trials of this life and let him be the savior? Or are you expecting him to empower you to save yourself? If you are in the wrong position, you will not feel the love of God. You'll feel a sense of distance from God. And the worst thing that a Christian can do is to feel distant from God. See, an unbeliever does not have the Holy Spirit. So the unbeliever can enjoy their sin. They can enjoy being angry. They can enjoy being anxious. You know, there are people who love their negative emotions. It identifies them. And they can enjoy that. But you see, when you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and you choose anxiety, you grieve the Holy Spirit. So now you're walking around with anxiety and a grieved Holy Spirit. That has got to be the most miserable thing that there could be. He's grieving. He's weeping inside of you. He's wooing, trying to get you to come back to him. And you're angry with him. You're distant from him. You're isolated from him. And he's saying, I just want to be for you. And you're putting me in a position where I'm against you. So instead of saying, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to defeat my foes. 
You put your trust and say, but my, my foes are already defeated by the one who rises up for me. I love that scripture where it says, risen with healing in his wings. I mean, come on. You know the scripture. It says, no weapon that's fastened against you shall prosper. But that, doesn't that scripture also mean that there are weapons that get fashioned against you? But you don't have to let them prosper. What you have to do is say, I am broken. I am being bullied. I am overwhelmed. But it's a perfect position for me to encounter the justice of God. Are you tracking with me in this? You see, what happens here is you really determine, do you trust him or not? People say to me, all, oh, I trust God. No one trusts God more than me. And then the next word out of their mouth, they're worried, they're afraid, they're all of these things. And I'm like, your symptoms don't reveal that you actually have trust. Your symptoms reveal that you don't trust. And so when you see something like worry coming up, don't, don't beat yourself up, but say, it's a symptom that I don't trust. It's a symptom that I don't want to be under his control. I want to have control. And as long as you are trying to maintain control, then you're not allowing him to make the outcomes that he needs for you to have. Joseph was really clear in the, in the Bible. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And there has to be this rock-solid trust that even when other people intend you evil or when circumstances seem negative, that God is still intending it for your good. And at some point, there has to be a solid standing where you say, I know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now, why am I saying it's so important to understand this as a justice thing? Because you see, if this is what he has promised, because he is just, he will never go back on his promise. And if you've ever struggled with, does God really forgive me? Or does God really, can God really love me? It goes back again to the justice of God. The forgiveness that every believer experiences is based on the justice of God. Because the father will never ask a second payment for what Jesus has already paid. The father accepted the payment of Jesus. How do I know that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is raised, he will never ask a second payment of any believer. So instead of begging forgiveness, you can believe for forgiveness. Instead of like hoping you're forgiven, you can have certainty that you're forgiven. So then you can put yourself in the position where the justice of God begins to work for you, not against you. Now, can you hear me on this this morning? Well, in a way, we could sum up the life of a person then who encounters God in everyday life and every day of life. It is to live a life of justice not, not justice in order to be approved by God, but to align your heart to the heart of God. So here in the scripture, I just showed you about nine things that God says he does out of his justice. 
out of who he is. He, he gives food to the hungry. He clothes the naked. He, he opens the eyes of the blind. All of these things are out of the very character of God. He does it because that's who he is. And so what he's calling you and I to do, if we want to encounter him in deeper and deeper ways, is that we align our heart to his heart. In Micah 6, 8, you know this. He has shown thee, O man, what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so this whole idea of justice is actually in the scripture 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And the word that's used normally for justice is the Hebrew word mishpat. And this, this word, why you don't always see that it's always the, the idea of justice is it's, it's often translated differently. For example, in this Psalm 146, it's the idea of executing the cause of the oppressed, of standing up for the cause of the oppressed. And so in a, a very simple way, God is always at work to give people what they're due. Now, in the negative sense, He's saying, I will take care of what's wrong. He says, you know, the Lord brings justice down on the wicked. So there's, a, there's a, a sense or a negative sense about justice. That is to condemn, to punish, or to stop the evildoer. But in this scripture, there's another side of justice. And the side of justice that the Lord majors on is he gives the oppressed and the poor what they need. As a matter of fact, in the scripture, there's four categories that you could call the, the quartet of the vulnerable. And it's here in all of these scriptures where, where it talks about who God works for. It says the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor person. This is, these are all the people who are living life very vulnerably in the company of other people. It's interesting, Job talks about why he's a just man, why he's a a person with mishpat. He says, I delivered the poor who cried and the orphan who, came, uh, who had no helper. The blessing of the wretched came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I championed the cause of the stranger. So the idea that of Job in, in his misery is he's saying, I, I was doing all the things that God does. All of these vulnerable people, I was giving to them. I was meeting their needs. They called me blessed. And so the scripture says that no harm must come to the weak or to those that are vulnerable. As a matter of fact, the idea of biblical justice is that it is unjust to neglect the vulnerable. It's not just, uh, it's not just a, a, an aggressive way of oppressing, but by ignoring the needs of others, the scripture says this is a lack of just, justice, not simply a lack of character. Let me, let me pound this into your head a little more. In uh, Job 31, again, he's, he's trying to defend, I have not done wrong is what he's saying. I've not brought this, this grief upon myself. And he says, if I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? If I have desires of the poor, or let the eyes of the widow grow weary. If I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, if I have seen anyone perishing 
for lack of clothing or the needy without garments, and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece from my sheep. See, he's, he's, trying, he's trying to get us to see something of the very heart of God in the way that Job is defending his life. He's saying that, he's saying that in everything that I've done, in whatever wealth I have, whatever strength I've had, whatever I have had, I have always given to those who are vulnerable. I have never let someone live in my community, live in my proximity, that their needs weren't my needs that I was taking on for them. And so so Job Job is showing us something really clear, and that is that in order to live a life of encountering God, you have to live a life of justice. You have to live a life where it's not just about you and your needs or even your family's needs. Um, I was reading this week uh, a story that I, I had forgotten about. But in 1964, there was a woman by the name of Kitty Genovese who was violated and murdered in front of her apartment building in Queens. And it's one of the most famous stories because they don't know exactly how many. At the time, they said there were 38 witnesses. Some have said there were 48 witnesses. But no one did anything. And so here she is in front of her apartment building with all these people watching, and no one tried to save her. No one tried to help her. As a matter of fact, one of the neighbors was asked in an interview why didn't you call the police? Why didn't you do something? And this neighbor, have his name and everything, the neighbor said, I did not want to get involved. (laughs) And when they were interviewing the killer, who actually was a serial killer, had done this numerous times, when they interviewed him, he said, I did it because I I knew that no one would intervene. No one would try to stop me. So you see, and that that case shocked the whole of the United States. The idea of, I did not want to get involved, is a huge aspect of keeping from being vulnerable myself by not involving myself with the vulnerable. Keeping myself safe, keeping my family safe, in a sense, is the opposite of what God requires of us. Now, can I just connect this to anxiety for a minute? You see, when you feel anxious, the only one you're really thinking about is you. And the only one that you actually have emotion for, even though you may be saying, I care about my family or I care about my work or whatever it is, really the one that's all important in that is you. And so no one in some sense, when you have anxiety, when you give yourself over to worry and fear, no one will connect with you in a way that's meaningful for you, which means then you're not connecting with anyone else in a way that's meaningful for them. And so the opposite you see is here in the heart of God. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite aspects of the gospel is that Jesus involved himself. 
And in order to become a person who has a heart after the heart of God, you have to be a person who risks vulnerability, who risks getting involved in such a way like the Lord Jesus Christ did. See, in this psalm, the psalm is not just telling us about a God of justice or that we should try and be people of justice. Rather, this is a worship song that's deep in the psalmist's heart. You see, he's saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Whatever captures your emotion, whatever captures your affections, your imagination, whatever is in your heart that says, this is what my life purpose is, this is what is beautiful to me, this is valuable to me, that's where worship comes from. You might like a song or you might sing a praise, but when you yourself are not captivated, it's just a song. It only becomes a heart worship when you say, this is the way I look at things. This is what I value. This is what I'm willing to die for. This is what will shape me from my inside out. And so I see the musicians. We got lots to do yet. Can you stay with me for a minute on this? See, the opposite of the man who wouldn't get involved in Queens is our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what happened in Luke chapter four. Jesus reads the messianic text of, of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to do justice. That's the Mishpat. Jesus says, however, he stops the quote of this passage at the year of the Lord's favor. He does not read the section that elaborates the vengeance of our God. He stopped because he did not come to bring the vengeance of God. He came to bear the vengeance of God. Jesus doesn't just stand by us. He stood for us and took our place when he went to the cross. The justice of God was completely exalted, exhausted in the punishment that Christ bore. And for all those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. See, there, there's always a choice. There's a choice to be like the neighbor who said, I didn't want to get involved. Or there's the choice of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, not only am I standing by them, I will stand for them. And he even took the vengeance and the wrath of God upon himself so that you might escape the wrath of God that is to come. As we observe communion together, this table of our Lord Jesus Christ is actually the table not only of the love of God, but of the justice of God. See, in this table, Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and in this table, he said, this cup is the, is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. I guess in a way you couldn't possibly get more involved than to give your body and to give your blood. And the interesting thing is, he did it for people that were his enemies. He did it for people who didn't care that he did it. He did it for people that maybe even in some way said, I don't want you to do this. See, this isn't the table of the righteous. It's the table of the vulnerable. It's the table of the broken. It's the table of the oppressed. It's the table of the needy. 
This is a table where Jesus says, if you're hungry, come eat. If you're thirsty, come drink. And so I'm going to pray over these elements. But I'm going to ask you today, even though we don't have the literal table up here, I'm going to ask you, would you do with me and say, Lord, I'm going to trade my anxieties for your healing today. I'm going to trade my insecurities for your justice today. I'm going to trade my sense of worthlessness for the worth that you give me. And I'm going to believe that you're working all things together for good, even the things I can't control. Would you do that with me? Would you, would you seeing the sacrifice he has made, would you give to him a sacrifice of your vulnerability today? So let's pray over these elements. Lord, I bless these. I consecrate them to this holy purpose. That this ordinary cracker, that this ordinary juice, that you would do an extraordinary work of grace in us. Lord, as I quickly said this, but it's such an important thing. The psalmist is not just teaching a concept. He's singing from the very heart of his soul. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Lord, today, because you are a God of justice, because you have met our sin, not in vengeance, but in an exchange where you have taken our sorrows, you've taken our sin, you've taken our sickness, and you've put it on yourself. We receive now this broken body of Jesus that we might be healed. We receive now this blood of Jesus that we might be forgiven. And we rest in the justice of this that's saying, it is finished, the debt is paid. You will never ask a second payment for what has already been paid. In Jesus' name and to Jesus' glory, we eat and drink together. Amen. Will you, will you take the cracker as Jesus said, and this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you take this with me? And in the same way, Take the, the juice that's on the other side to wash down this horrible cracker that we just ate. Taste and see that the Lord is good, but this cracker ain't. It's hard to eat this thing in front of people, I'll tell you. Will you drink this cup with me? Scripture said that after the disciples had eaten, after they had drunk this cup, they sang together. Will you stand and let's sing together to the praise of our God.